Hello and welcome to the Impact Podcast from us at Impact Wales. We're Finn and Jane and every week we'll be bringing you lots of discussion, comments and opinion on everything research and education. We'll be talking professional learning, what's happening in the education world and everything in between to help you make a difference in your school. Good morning, Jane. Good morning, Finn. And for our regular listeners, you will know that we don't normally like recording our podcast on a Friday afternoon. So we're doing it in a Friday morning today. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I should say that we need to be kind to you, Jane, because you're feeling a bit rough. I feel a bit rough today. But, you know, we've both been through the mill a little bit this week. And we're hopefully, well, I thought we were coming out the other side of it. But obviously, this is round two. Yeah, yeah, well. And me sitting next to you for the next half an hour isn't, isn't going to bode well for the weekend, is it? Oh, I'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. So let's talk about what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Well, it's all been a bit of a whirl, hasn't it? We've seen the length. We've been to the length and breadth of Wales, which has been lovely. The weather's been st- absolutely stupendous. Yeah, it's a bit grim today. It is. But, Autumn you know. has definitely arrived today. Um, but we have um, done the first of our Closing the Disadvantage Gap workshop in Merthyr. Yes, which, which was, was fabulous. It was really good. That was, that was a lovely day. Uh, we've done the second of our assessment progression and accountability workshop for this autumn term. Yeah. And Gavilly. I think I, I think it's either the sixth or the seventh yeah. time we've done yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, we've done an awful lot of those. Yeah. Very, very popular. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're also, by the time this comes out, we will have done. Yep. Um, session two of our guided practice program yes and i'm particularly excited about the guided practice program because it's so it is it's taking all of the theory and all of the research and all of the um strategy that we've been working with in, in our other workshops yeah. around curriculum for wales and effective pedagogy and curriculum design and assessment and all of those things and putting them into this really neat little um practice module so it's 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 much more like teaching than it, anything but, else but what is do. nice though is that this is a this is a, the second of three yeah so that we've got time in between to step back and reflect mm. and obviously and the, the participants to go away and practice these things. yes but it is it's it's more like <laughs> it's gonna sound a bit weird but it's more like coming on a cookery course <laughs> where you're actually cooking stuff yeah than going uh and listening to philosophy yeah. or something it's much, much more practical than any of our other courses, yes. which is, is fabulous. It's nice to have that variety, isn't it? And good news. Good news. Good news re- regarding the book. For those of you who, who've got a copy of Parity Pedagogy. The Illustrated Handbook of Teaching. Yeah, trips off the toe. Um, <laughs> six months now since the launch, since the publication date. More than, more than six yeah. months, but it's selling really, really yes, well. Had a, nice. a lovely check through the post. Not, uh, there we go. Not so long so ago. So yeah, really, really good. Yay. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about closing the disadvantage gap. Yeah, and I think this is a reflection of some of the conversations we had with the delegates that came, or colleagues that came uh, to our session in Merthyr. There were lots of interesting mm. discuss- discussion around the challenges that everyone's facing within, mm. in school at the moment. Oh, yeah. You know, not just with COVID on the rise, yeah. and attendance being an issue. Yeah. We're heading into the dark winter. And yes. It's that hard pull well, for half term, isn't it? But there are lots of things that school funding. Yes. You know, that that's a that's having a real impact yeah. on um the ability of uh, schools to send staff on courses. You know, if you couple school funding with absence rates of <laughs> teachers through yeah, yeah, COVID yeah. and other, you know, sort of seasonal things. 
And if your budget is so, so tight that you can't afford to cover a member of staff who's ill and somebody else is going on the course, and then you pull that person who's going on the course and say, well, look, you know, we're going to have to deal with this in-house through necessity, then you end up with a professional learning approach that is entirely unstrategic. And therefore, you know, things like closing the gap, it it becomes incredibly difficult. The the strategy goes a little bit, doesn't it, when you you Mm. can't plan absolutely ahead because you've got to react to the things that are happening there I mean you know as a parent I've already I've already had an email this afternoon to say that you know they might potentially have to start looking at asking your groups to work from home because yeah. they can't cover because of staff absence and that's the situation that I know a lot of schools are in yeah yeah so uh, you know we, we've been we watch Twitter as we always do and we noticed there was a Wales Online report out about the unions and their response to Estin summaries and how the unions were representing the views of their members in that they felt that um, there was little understanding yeah. of what schools and teachers have been through with the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, just just pointing out that, you know, if you're saying, for example, that, you know, there that um, the provision isn't good enough for numeracy, when we know that research says that numeracy was one of the first skills to suffer yeah. through covid and uh, multiple lockdowns, you know, a, a, there, there are much kinder, more accurate ways of describing it rather than, oh, it's just not good enough. Yeah. I think we're certainly seeing that the response to the uh, inspectorate in Wales at the moment is really pretty negative. And I think that um, that's, it's not down to the fact that Essen have changed too much about, you know, their core work. But it, I think it's a sign of where teachers currently yeah, yeah, are. Yeah. And I think that there there needs to be a, an additional understanding from all of the middle tier and senior positions within but education. Also that, wider that as well. Really think, suffering. Yeah. yeah. But it but it's that like you don't need that teacher bashing no. on, you know, well, what you're doing is not good enough. Yeah. But you know, teachers are working really, really hard within With very, very little yeah, within the situation that we're in. So Okay, so with that in mind, um, we'd like to talk about closing the gap because obviously this is a national priority and um, it's something that is, I think most teachers get into teaching to make a difference. And of course, the children that you can make most of a difference to are those ones who are um, more, are greatly impacted by poverty, difficult home lives, um, disadvantaged more generally, ALM, those kinds of things. So can I can I just say, though, that just going back to our course that we did last week, we had a range of people there with different responsibilities. Mm. You know, there were a number of head teachers, senior leaders, but there were also, you know, classroom teachers. And I think that's the key point is that closing the gap is everyone's responsibility. Yes. It's not, it shouldn't just sit within a, a particular team to come no. up with these strategies, which we'll talk about. Yeah. It's not the ALNCO's responsibility. No, it's not. It's not the data manager's responsibility. It's, yeah, and it's governors and it's parents as well. Um, And we'll talk, yes, we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail. But it's, it closing the gap also isn't about implementing a high impact strategy. Yeah. It's not just um, making teaching and learning better. That is one part of it. But for those people who... It's very complex, isn't it? Well, for those people who aren't even in school, or when they are in school are not in the right place to be learning 
it wouldn't really matter if you have yeah. any high impact strategies. It also wouldn't matter if you don't have um, a positive culture within your school. You know, that, so there's, it, it's getting the fundamentals right first before yeah. you do all of those yeah. kinds of things. And we um, we looked at an awful lot of research for um, the session that we did, and we we spoke to a lot of um, people about it. And we also looked at what was working in schools and you know bringing all of that together it, it's it was it's such a complex yeah. question that it's but there's a really clear way of making a difference and making sure that pupils who suffer from social or economic disadvantage or a combination of the two are not disadvantaged further through their education yeah, yeah, yeah. and i think there is a um a a kind of um a narrative in wales that is the fsm yeah it's much much broader than that isn't it yeah it's not but, just OEFSM well this is how I think it's measured in official documents you know, because it is really difficult to measure as well it's really difficult to measure the, the child whose home life is really chaotic yeah. but they're quite yeah. they're quite well off who is therefore disadvantaged by it. it it's that understanding that we're not just talking about economic yeah we're talking the social yeah the hidden then which seems to be the more hidden yeah and you know we shouldn't forget that just as an example that there are pupils out there who um, come from professional families but are latchkey kids where they don't get the the support from their parents because their parents are out the whole time not because they're not interested but they physically aren't there or you've got the children who come from home lives where there is abuse going on yeah. And they are still economically advantaged. And abuse can be all kinds of things. It doesn't have to be, you know, not being given any boundaries whatsoever and being bought, being bought all of the latest stuff yeah. is yeah. emotional abuse. Well, there was a quote from one of the somebody on our last week who said about all oh, the, yeah, but there's the BMW on the drive, but there's nothing in the cupboard. Yes. Yes. But, yeah, exactly. Not yeah, laughing yeah, about yeah. That. Yeah. That, that. That is a situation that we need to have a more, um, a broader view of what can cause um, pupils to be disadvantaged. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm coughing as well now. Well, I think that was an interesting part of the morning, wasn't it? Is is well, you know, what is disadvantage? Yeah. Understanding, you know, what my interpretation of it is and your interpretation. Let's all be really clear. What is it do we that we mean? Yeah. About disadvantage. So we're all starting from the same point. Well, that was that was what we asked everybody who was on course and what was really interesting is all of the answers that came back were really really detailed clear you know sensible answers about well really understanding your children knowing what the home lives are like knowing what is causing them problems at home knowing if they haven't got enough money you know and this real focus on community then when we dug a little bit deeper it's there was a really clear understanding from the people on the course yes because obviously they were the ones invariably that either had yeah. responsibility in it or were very interested in it but it's thinking about well you know does everybody in your school have the same yeah. understanding does everybody in your school have the same background in the you know what the data is telling them and yeah. i'm talking about quantitative as well as qualitative data so also thinking about well you know should the disadvantaged pupils in your school should they be getting a better education than advantage peers well no they should be getting just as good an education for them yeah, as, as the, the advantage peers yeah, yeah. because when you think about you know when you've got 
nurturing parents at home you you're not hungry you're not tired you're not cold um you're not traumatized and you you come into school and school is the kind of structure and system that you is replicated at home in that you know when somebody says to do something you do it and there are consequences and it bothers yeah. up it more but when you're coming from a chaotic background where there aren't any rules where your expectation of what adults do is totally different yeah. to what happens in school then <coughs> they need something different they need that that bridging the gap between yeah. what they experience yeah. in home and what they experience in school well, it, well so, it sits back with knowing as we said knowing your pupils know exactly where, where the starting point is absolutely so so closing the gap is is complex and it's not just about funding and it's not just about high impact yeah. strategies it is about that knowledge making sure that knowledge is across the board that you've got a system and an approach in school that enables everybody to understand what's going well, it, on it's not about papering over the cracks yeah because that's all that you know high impact teaching strategies are doing if you're not looking at what the root cause is yeah then you're going to you know how many how many initiatives have we run in schools that you know how much money has been spent with these teaching yeah. strategies or whatever but we're still doing them I well, know, if they work I know, I know we should still be doing them because if you think about it there are probably plenty of children out there who are bright willing to learn yeah but because they have maybe um their, their parents aren't as um <clears throat> adept at parenting as they could be or they're, they're you know struggling themselves the child doesn't get to sleep because they're sharing a bedroom with three other yeah. siblings and they come into school really really tired and they would be willing to learn if they weren't so tired yeah. or they don't want to come to school because they haven't got clean clothes and they yeah. smell and they don't like the response of their their peers yeah. i mean it was really interesting just as a as an aside, um, we watch Senate TV, which is thrilling. But um, one of these scrutiny committees, and this is going back a, a little while now, but I think it exemplifies the kinds of issues. COVID, there wasn't it, this one. It was post-COVID, yeah. yeah. They were talking about um, how schools were spending the pupil development yeah. grant, how schools were spending the money designated for disadvantaged pupils. And there were questions from the Sen members of the Senate about the how... Um, effective it was for schools to be buying a washing machine yeah. so that they could wash the children's clothes and the the kind of general feeling was schools shouldn't be doing that well who's got who else is going to do yeah, it yeah yeah if schools aren't if that's, who, who is if that's what the pupils need yeah then that is what should be put in place yeah and i think it's a sad state of affairs that schools are having to you know um create food banks for the yeah, community yeah. or um, make sure that the, you know, the um, health visitor actually does a health yeah. visiting in the school. And I think it's sad that we're in that situation that the schools are doing the kinds of things, you know, like that the, in the whole, in the news um, schools actually going around to people's houses and waking children up yeah, yeah, and yeah, bringing yeah. them into school. And that's a really difficult question because yes, ideally it should be the parents who are doing that, but if they're not, you know, what, where, what do you do? Where does the role of school and teacher and the role of parent, yeah. where does that, where is that line? Well, one of the things actually in the last school I worked in, um, Mysa Therwin, up in the Swansea Valley, the school Mysa Therwin, we had a, a significant issue with um, pupils who wouldn't, weren't actually non-functional readers, but they weren't effective readers. 
So they had the decoding skills, but they just weren't very practiced at it. Um, and most of the problem was it was quite a rural community. And most <clears> of the problem was that not that the parents didn't want to help, but they were that the help they were providing was actually making the situation worse because maybe their reading skills weren't that brilliant. Yeah. So what I did was I actually wrote a reading program that was come and help your child learn to read that was sold to the parents in terms of, you know, you, you'll be supporting your child. But actually it was training the parents in not only how to read, but also how to support someone else to read so that the the reading is actually being yeah. supported rather and, than and that's really less. important when we've talked before haven't we but there is a as a teacher i've never been taught and shown how mm. to teach someone to read i've mm. sort of with my two children i've sort of picked it up picked as it up as you go along yeah. whether or not that was the right the, well, the right way or not i don't know me too and i think you know when you're listening to someone read you a child struggles over the world they'll look at you you're just giving the word yeah, yeah. that's not helping is it <laughs> no. no which isn't helping so it's it's recognizing that disadvantage comes in many guises and it's understanding what the problem yeah. is and then addressing the problem. And there are um, there are three different layers of support that schools should be looking at. There's obviously there's the whole school support that, that's going to benefit everybody, you know, um, thinking about things like high quality teaching and learning and supporting yeah. teachers to improve all of those kinds of things. Then there's the support that's specifically designed for pupils who make slower than expected pre progress. Mm -hmm. So that might be the pupils who have a chaotic home life, who come in without the readiness to learn, or who who are coming in with difficulties yeah. and problems that need support, or who just aren't being supported to move forward in whatever way. And then there's the targeted um, poverty-related actions, you know, school uniform, breakfast clubs, enrichment funds, food banks. Yeah clean clothes you know that there's it's it's not it's not necessarily having a list of five strategies and schools just do that because your cohort is going to have different a different yes. mix yeah, yeah, yeah. of those kinds of things you're going to be spending a different amount of time you've done a really nice sketch note on this the whole new little egg model yes the egg model which i think we'll, we'll tag in in, we'll put somewhere yeah we'll put in, yeah. The, in the show notes well that actually comes from daniel sobel's yeah. book um narrowing the attainment yeah. gap and um he he has the um analogy but i just visualized yeah, yeah, yeah. it and it's that outer shell that everybody gets then you've got the white that those who are just making the slow yeah. progress get but then you've got the yoke yeah which is kind of like the core of everything is making sure that pupils who are suffering because they haven't got the money that other children have is making sure that they yeah. have the things that that money yeah. buys. So yeah, there's there's lots going on in Wales at the moment that that is being sold as a strategy for closing the gap. So well, that was the whole reason behind Curriculum for Wales, wasn't it? it was and the ALM. And the, um, well, where do we start with that one? Well, yeah, true. But the um, we know that um, both curriculum and assessment reform or a curriculum and assessment they're not known for closing the gap so whilst it's very nice for the minister to say um you know curriculum for wales will be a world-class education system and will um you know um deliver for the disadvantaged close the gap for the disadvantaged yeah. children of wales 
that's really wishful thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. that that just by doing curriculum reform it's it's yeah. kind of it's putting an awful lot of pressure yeah. on schools to do the impossible I'd, I'd really. say that it will doesn't yes, necessarily mean no. that it's going to absolutely not so you know we know that the, the education policy institute <laughs> report which was actually pre-covid said that children in wales were 23 months roughly behind two, two years isn't it? In, in both in core and non-core GCSE and yeah. that was two months worse than children in England yeah I mean that and that was pre-COVID yeah. so it's going to be worse than that but, now. but it was even worse for pupils with ALN ALN, ALN actually ALN. were the most disadvantaged yeah. but then looked after children yeah. and persistent disadvantage which was um six six years of consistent efsm um qualification yeah so there's a lot of people in that in that bracket there are and one of the things that the epi report did which was makes it a really good report and we'll put that in the show notes as well is that they identified not just from one set of data but from lots of different research papers approaches that can make a difference Mm -hmm. also those that don't make very much difference at all and there's one um, piece of research lifting the veil of um, schools in New York, which I know we've mentioned before in the podcast, but they've got lots of lots of strategies that are exemplified in there that come from other sources as well that really do make a difference. Mm. And there aren't that many of them, though, that schools have total control over. Mm. So there's quite a few that um, that are dependent on government funding or dependent on policy. You know, things like... Well, the targeted increase in instructional time. Yeah. That's, you know, schools are very limited to how much time, yeah, particularly with funding, that pupils can actually be learning for. And I'm wondering whether, going back 18 months or so, where there was one of the election commitments was to look at reforming the school day and reforming the school year. And I know that um, there was a pilot on extending the school day and I know that part of that pilot was looking at increased instructional time, yeah. but it ended up being enrichment activities yeah, after after school. Yeah. yeah. And I'm wondering whether part part of the reason for that was that they couldn't get the teachers to do it. Yeah. Understandably, who would want to yeah. do additional time? Well, in when you look at the current climate, we, we started the podcast off today talking about, mm. you know, staffing recruitment mm. is mm. a real issue. All you know, a lot of these initiatives rely on staff with the expertise, yeah, to do well, some of these things. That's the other thing: is the targeted increased instructional time is predicated on the same teachers mm. teaching the same curriculum. Yeah. So effectively, what you'd have to do is you'd have to say, right, well, teacher A, you're going to work a longer day on Monday and Wednesday, so you're going to get Tuesday mm. off, and we're going to employ a new mm. teacher to do Tuesday. So you'd have to employ more teachers yeah. to do that. And that it's not about asking the current staff to do more and above, no. over and above what they're currently doing, because I don't think anyone no. could really be doing any more. Absolutely. And then you've got things like high stakes assessment actually do make a difference mm-hmm. to disadvantaged pupils. But probably, and this is something <laughs> that the, the research looked into, is that it's simply by measuring on a standard yeah. that gives you that point to say, well, okay, so... We need to be making sure that pupils improve against this standard. So you've got you've got a way of recognizing whether things are working or not. Well, but we know that 
performance isn't necessarily learning either. No. So, you know, th this is, again, a, a bit of an issue because if you said, well, we want all pupils to, we're going to measure that they, they all have five trips a year. Yeah. Then, you know, that's what would focus people's attention. Yeah. So, yes, it does make a difference in terms of standards, but we know that that's not the whole story. School autonomy. So schools having the right to buy the washing machine if they want yes. to. And not being dictated to by a Whoever. list of strategies yeah, yeah, yeah. and guidance. Yeah. If an issue has been identified, then it should be up to the school to spend the to money spend where it can make yeah. a difference. Because yeah. the school knows the children better than anyone else. Absolutely. And I think that's the other thing is that if we're looking at providing guidance for schools about how to close the disadvantage gap, let's provide guidance for schools on this kind of research and you know, identifying the problem rather than um, what, what not to do, what, what not to do. Yeah. But also strategies that other people have done that have worked. Yeah. Because those they have worked in other contexts. Yeah. So it's about maybe sharing how other schools identified the problem and how other schools organized so everybody was aware of that problem. Those are much more important. Well, I know there's an, uh, an updated EEF report that's just yeah. come out this week on the pupil premium in England. Yeah. So what, you know, how useful would that be to look at that yeah. and, just, and to do a similar across Wales? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, another one, higher teacher pay. Yeah. Well, what could, what could schools do about that? Yeah. But higher teacher pay, you know, if, if teaching is a more lucrative job and therefore a more attractive job, higher status job, then yeah, higher teacher pay, maybe fewer working hours as well, fewer contact hours. But, it, but that also in. links though to the quality of, or the type of degree, the class of degree that somebody's got as a teacher doesn't necessarily make them no. a better teacher. So it shouldn't necessarily mean that they get more money. And I, no. I know we started teaching back in the day where you were pay, you went on the salary, yeah. depending on what type of degree yeah. you had. And you might have had people teaching, starting teaching with exactly the same amount of experience as you, starting two or three points difference yeah. because of the quality of your degree. And that, that makes no sense. no sense at all. No, it's about, you know, the, a teaching class is degree, a, a third class degree it doesn't that doesn't no that doesn't represent what quality how good a teacher no you are going to be absolutely because most people do their degrees before they're 22 yeah anyway you know so absolutely and i think that higher teacher pay um makes a difference because it's a more valued profession yeah. i mean that's you know that's one of the things i think um is the, it's a real issue at the moment <laughs> teachers don't feel valued yeah and I think where, you know, if you don't feel valued, you're not going to go the extra mile when you see there's a societal issue. And this is a societal yeah. issue. It's not a school yeah. issue. And the majority of teachers are in this for the right reasons. Yeah. OK, so trying not to get too we're bogged on our, down. We're on our soapbox today, aren't we? Trying not to get too bogged down on that. Supporting teachers to improve. Now, notice this is not supporting those who need to improve to improve. Yeah. This is supporting all yeah. teachers to improve because yeah. we know that i mean dylan william makes a big thing about this that there is no effective way to identify those teachers who are not doing well yeah you know lesson observation is notoriously inaccurate at identifying teachers who are doing poorly or even doing yeah. well yeah so don't waste your time doing it yeah 
you know, if you're going to use lesson observation, use it as a supportive, yes. focused development tool. Well, don't use it as a identification yeah, tool. It's, it's not a stick to beat you with, is it? No. We, we all know the teacher that, you know, come inspection, they pull the, the whizzy lesson out of the hat. Yeah, or singing but, dancing. But day in, day out, you think, mm, hang on yeah. a minute. You know, they're, they're, they're not there. And you also know of the really good teachers who are there constantly and they might have a, you know, a night. we all have nightmare over lessons. Yes, yes. You know, um, why should you be judged by that one? Yeah, absolutely. You look at little things in particular about improving practice, not just that tick, tick, tick lesson. Absolutely. So if, if there's a school strategy, it's thinking about closing the disadvantage gap is going to be supported by looking at your professional learning in school. Yeah. Having a clear professional learning strategy. You know, how are you ensuring that people have professional discussions um, how are you ensuring that um, people are constantly questioning and reflecting yeah. and evaluating on the practice? How are you ensuring that there is um, a source of research informed practice to draw on? How are you ensuring that um, professional learning is thoughtful and focused on the impact on learning? Yeah, well, that, that fits really nicely into one of the other key issues is about school culture. Yes, you know that that feeds into it doesn't it if you yeah. if you've got that environment where you feel valued yeah where your professional learning is yeah. you know held up as you know as one of the things that's going to make a difference yeah if you haven't got that school culture where people feel safe to do that <laughs> then you know that's something that needs to be addressed yeah and i think it's really interesting um i for a short while that year after um i was coming back to work after having children i did supply and it was it was fascinating going around as a secondary teacher going lots going. I must have um, gone around to, I want to say about thirty different schools, and it was, you know, and I worked in all kinds of different departments as well: geography, Welsh, God, physics, maths, English, you know, PE even. Um, you pick up on a culture really quickly, and the culture isn't what people say. No. It is, you know, or it, it isn't in a policy. It is, it's norms of behaviour. It's how teachers, uh, what teachers believe they should do. Yeah. Well, it's not the mission statement of the school, no. is it? Because every school can write a mission statement. Yeah. But if you haven't got the culture of ethos yeah. underpinning that within the school, then it's just words yeah. on a bit of paper. Absolutely. And, you know, what the school I actually chose to work in uh, when I was ready to go back into full-time work my Sotherwin, the reason that I wanted to work in that school was because of the culture, yeah. because everybody's doors were open, because I was yeah. invited in to have a cup of tea with a department like a regular member of staff, yeah. because people looked after each yes. other, because if I had a question, it was answered because I got a folder which told me what the expectations yes. were of me during a lesson. You know, it's, it's those kinds of things. And, and when you think about culture in your school you know your culture might be everybody is supporting the development of all let's mm. say that's that's your mission statement well where's the tangible evidence mm. when you walk around the corridors how do you know that yeah can you see your your mission statement in action it, that's it mission statement in action so <clears throat> culture is really important and that then supports the next thing which is high quality teaching and learning you know, high quality teaching and learning comes from a really focused, supportive, developmental, professional learning for all 
and a high expectations yeah. culture that permeates not just what happens in the classroom, but what happens yeah. for teachers as well. Well, it's it's teachers feeling valued enough to say, I've got an issue with this mm. group or I've got an issue with this aspect of my mm. teaching. Can I have some help? Yeah. Not hiding yeah. the that issue because you might be judged to be mm. not as effective as the person down the Abs- corridor. Absolutely. And, you know, changing a culture is one of the hardest things to do. But yeah. there are four clear steps. It's <clears throat> define your why. Say what you want the culture mm-hmm. to be. Make mm-hmm. it really explicit. Identify and analyse. So actually go out there and say, well, OK, what evidence do I currently have of what the culture yeah. is actually like? You, you know, where am I seeing the issues? So you know exactly what you're dealing with. Let's talk to people. Yes, mm. yes. You know, as a, as a new leader in any school, you would go around and you would listen. You know, what, what are teachers, pupils, parents... Yeah. What are they saying? What does it feel like? And then you would actually start to um, take action and you would use, maybe you would use a, you know, small changes, but in a on a grand scale. So fixing little problems bit by bit will lead to, you know, a whole system being changed, but then holding your line when you're making a change and somebody disagrees with it. Yeah. Is going back and over communicating. Well, this is why we're doing it. Yeah. This is what I currently see. This is what we're going to, and I'm going to stick to this. And I think, um, I think not to put too fine a point on the whole, you know, teachers don't feel valued thing at the moment. Head teachers feel even less valued. And it is changing the culture of a school is a monumental task. And if you've got all of this additional workload, and all of these, you know, separate requirements from this body and that body and Estin and the expectation that grammar and spelling yeah. should be good. And well, we do we don't need the goalposts moved all the time. That, no, because we've had so much of that in education. It's <clears throat> always we've evolved. There's always something else and something else. And there's never time for things to embed and to stabilize and to really you know, get to grips with what's going on. And that was something interesting, talking to Hugo Hutchinson from uh, Hutchinson from uh, Monmouth Comprehensive School. And he was quite clearly saying, my focus was on providing a good curriculum. Mm-hmm. Curriculum for Wales almost came second. Yeah. And I think that this is, the, this is, it takes a very... He knows his why. Brave. Yeah, yeah. He knows his why, but almost a revolutionary leader mm-hmm. to actually say, no, I'm going to do the right thing, sometimes putting aside the expected things. And that's really, really hard. And I think the difficulty of that job, that's what's what's causing the problem with disadvantage gap. It's not that people don't want to do it or that they, in some cases, don't know how. It's that there is so much pressure on so many things for so much of the time that they physically haven't got the energy to do it. Yeah. The, the one thing we haven't mentioned, I think we, we skipped, I thought, partly my fault because mm. I went straight into culture, is about the use of data within a school. Right. And I know we've talked about data to we're blue in the face, that data is the responsibility of everyone within the school to mm. know what is going on. But I think as a, you know, I, I think go back to when I was in school, teaching school, that we had lots and lots of data around mm. But lots of it wasn't being used for anything. So what is yeah. the point? Yeah. So, you know, if you've got data, yeah. are you using it? Is it reliable? Is it what is it telling you yeah. 
Yeah. Or is it being used for what you want it to be used for? Yeah. If it's not, well, why on earth are you, yeah. are you doing it? Have you got bits of data that are missing? Yeah. Like reading ages. We've, we've yes. been to that before. Yeah. You know, that you need instead. Yeah. So it's about thinking very carefully about what data you've got, but also yeah. then starting to triangulate and look a little bit deeper to be a little bit more forensic yeah. about what that data is telling you. What questions is it raising? Yeah. Well, this is it. Any any leadership role should require a sort of um, detective kind of approach but, to no, it. So saying, well, what's, what's the every, issue? Every teacher should have that. Sorry, yes. That element of, you know, let's look at the pupils that I know, because as a teacher, yeah. I've got all the, yeah. you know, I know that so-and-so's got a one parent from a one-parent family and so-and-so's dad is away in the army. Yeah. You've got all that information. And then you start to triangulate that and make sense of the numbers. Because we've always said that as soon as you start pulling data sets together, the fact that there's children sitting underneath all that and all those numbers is forgotten. And I think yeah. it's remembering that every every bit of data that we've got, every, you know, yeah, we need to go back and remember there's children sitting underneath that. Absolutely. So when I was talking about the leaders, what I was thinking about was that leaders um, think, what questions do we need to answer? What data is going to provide that? Then making sure that everybody has access to that mm-hmm. and that they can become detectives and just say, well, look, I've got a problem in my class. Yeah. Why have I got yeah. a problem in my class? Yeah. What will give you give me yeah. that information? But, but it, looking at data together, yes, not in isolation. Absolutely. And I think that we're probably quite unusual in that we're both quite comfortable with data. I love a bit of data. I, I do love a bit of data <laughs> as well. I, I, I really like you know, um, seeing data along, seeing quantitative data alongside quality yeah, of data yeah, yeah, yeah. and starting to see the picture of, you know, an individual pupil's journey or a class's journey or, you know, the, the link between what the teacher has done and what the class, yeah. how the class has responded. And I think that that's the point is that using data and the the key strategy in, in closing the gap is, using data to guide instruction. So how many times have you got a situation where they say, right, well, we've got a problem with reading, let's say, or we've got a problem with numeracy. That's probably easier to exemplify. So we've got a problem with numeracy. So what we'll do is we'll buy in that numeracy intervention or we'll use the numeracy intervention we designed for last year. We'll just do it again. Yeah. Or we'll just take that little group of children out and they can can just miss their math lesson. Yeah, and they'll do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's actually happened is you then get pupils, A, possibly who shouldn't even be in that group because they just had a bad day and they they went below where they would normally be. Forgot to turn a page over in the test. Yeah, or were occupied or whatever. Um, And then you've got children who are being taught things they already know because it's not those things that they've got an issue with. So it's, you know, my, my adage is, um, if you don't look at problems in the first place, you're definitely not going to be able to yeah. fix them. So you, you need to be a looking in the right place, but then you need to be really clear exactly what the problem is. No, not, not a general feel for what the problem, but exactly yeah. what the problem yeah. is. What has caused that problem? Where has it yeah. come from? What can you what do something about? Route? What do you not yeah. do something about? And I think very often we look at data and just tackle the overarching what we can see yeah you know extended writing is a is 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 a big one isn't it yeah but that might not actually be the problem i i would just like to say 
that I have never met a child yet who had a problem with extended writing that didn't also have a reading and a, an OSC yeah, problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's children who can write well can also read well and articulate well. Mm. So I think that when I'm talking about being a detective, you will often see a problem and you'll see the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. It's everything else that's underneath. Yeah. It's finding what is underneath, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. And using that to guide your instruction. Not And this is the other thing that, you know, when we were at the um, Closing the Gap workshop, is that you had all these staff sitting there saying, you know, knowing your pupils, knowing what the problem is, is really, really important. But then potentially not having that forensic approach to the solution. Yeah. yeah. So it's forensic for the problem, but also forensic mm -hmm. for the solution, because you want them absolutely to be matched. So any intervention isn't a year long intervention no it's a it's a very focused yeah in about <laughs> six weeks half a term yeah that's it and you know the 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 last two things to think about high dosage tutoring well you know if we thought about that as as interventions schools generally speaking do not have time or the money, or the money to be giving year-long high dosage tutoring but if you've got pupils I mean something I did again when I was coming back into teaching is I did um interventions for numeracy and literacy and it was two or three pupils at a time and I'd see them for six weeks at a time and we just focus on the things that they were struggling yeah. with the most and having your intervention teachers being able to plan mm. for the problems they see in front of them which is why ideally you probably would be uh, having people running the interventions which are highly skilled who are highly skilled but it it's like when you do i had to go back to my head put my head department hat on is whenever you did the staffing the the groups that have got the greatest need and get they're the generally the you know those struggling somewhere in the middle or down the mm. bottom and should get the most you know the best mathematical yeah teachers teachers talking about math teacher mm. because they know how to structure the subject and yeah and teach it yeah absolutely and the, the other thing that needs to happen is early interventions yeah. you know we should really be throwing huge amounts of money at preschool yeah pre preschool early years primary ideally yeah so that so that by the time secondary it's all fixed you yeah know, if we could just get every child reading before they left school yeah before they left primary yeah. school that because you know i know i've said this before i'm going to say it again my heart used to sink when i'd have year seven pupils come in with reading ages yeah. of six or seven because yeah. you just think yeah what can i do but we know the knock-on effect with that is you know schools are struggling with behavior issues at the moment yes. and you know you, we talked about behavior and reading yeah go, go very well together so there are some things that also don't help and you know some of them won't be rocket science so school absence yeah. if your child isn't in school yeah, well there you go yeah and you know disrupted schooling during covid19 yeah, that's can't do anything about that long summer holiday so there's three things to do with when children aren't able to yeah. access school but also early ability grouping yeah so putting children in ability grouping and by that i do mean on tables in primary school yeah. to do things like reciprocal reading yeah. children know yeah you know the yeah. blue group yeah. they, they know that's the bottom group. but it doesn't help the children either if you're putting children together on a table in a primary school because they're all low ability then they can't help each yeah. other yeah you know 
more whole class teaching or all doing the same things or doing the same things with their more advantaged, yeah. more able peers. Let's not exacerbate the gap peers, that early. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So things that have little effect, according to the research, support later in life. You know, it's yeah. the, the it's number of secondary it? schools that are running interventions at at year 10 <laughs> or year 10 and a half because they're yes. coming up there to year 11. Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, they might get them over the line in the year 11, it'll save the data and and you know well, if, you've got to try something that's and when we go it's back a last ditch well that's where we go back to performance again over yeah. learning again isn't it and well this is why high stakes accountability does yeah. help because it does push that and you it's not like we're we're not blaming um secondary schools no, for doing because obviously do you should but they shouldn't have to do it but apparently additional school funding also in some cases can be unhelpful because um if the message goes out that the school are picking up the tab for something that families don't pick up the yeah. tab for it so they don't put the fund. so there needs to be really clear messaging yeah, yeah. about that as well it's also making sure what what funding there is is spent on the right thing absolutely so you know we would heartily recommend that if you want to close the gap into your school that you look at it as a significant driver for your whole school improvement plan maybe even looking at it on a iterative adaptation approach yeah. where you're you know choosing small, small things. things but on a whole a grand scale so that's closing the gap <laughs> tick done move on note so what's coming up for us we are <laughs> back at peter lee primary we are we are love going to peter lee yeah and we're doing a little bit of a recap on um what we've done before because yes, got um we've got the stuff. time to do yeah, that which yeah. is great yeah and of course you know um learning is a one moment in time yeah do it uh, we times. are back with venerable ed of morgan cluster remote time this time so we haven't got a little jolly up to north wales this time no we're saving that for january and we have uh, we're gonna do that remote so let's work with all their staff again across all the cluster and we are having we're a doing our last assessment and yes. progression and accountability for workshop the, for 2023 yeah at guayne farren yes indeed so we've got lots of lovely things coming up and um all those people out there um, I'm sure you're yeah. all looking forward to your half term. I know we are. And for those of you that, that do listen regularly, we are just recording this and it is now just midday on oh. a Friday. You'll know what that means. Carry half and, Carry half. Half and half. So have a good weekend and we will a week. Yeah. Weekend. And we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye now. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure you don't miss future episodes. You can find us online at www.impact.wales. You can also follow us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Impact Wales. On Facebook and Instagram, search for Impact Wales. And on LinkedIn, search for Impact School Improvement.